Romans 6. False reason, a true reason, my response to that reason, and the result of that reason. The first one is a false reason. So Paul's going to give another question or objection that comes up. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Which is just following up what he said in verse 14, that now as Christians, we're no longer under the Old Testament law, uh, its condemnation. We're under grace in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, hey, should we continue to sin then since, since we're not under the law? Should we just go on sinning? And he answers in the same way he did when he answered it to grace. He says, may it never be or by no means. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So here's my first point for you in this passage is the false reason is I am saved by God through Jesus Christ, not just to be excused from sinning. Not just to be excused from sinning. Or you might put in there, I, I, I got some clarification on this, some good insight last service from, you might say, not just to be excused from sin's consequences. That might be a, a way that's more clear to your understanding. I was putting it in Paul's words. That's not... That's a false reason. Some of us can believe, oh, Jesus came to, to excuse all my sins, and so therefore I can just go on sinning because he excuses them all. And that's all we see Jesus as is the one who excuses us. Uh, and Paul's asking some questions. We should ask some questions. Why would God, and this is what he was doing in the, the history of salvation in the Old Testament, why would God bring the Old Testament law through Moses to his people, and the Bible tells us its purpose was to reveal our sin, to, in a sense, multiply sin, not that we sin more necessarily, it's that we were aware of our sin so much more when that law was there. Why would he bring that in to show his holiness and our sinfulness, only to then free us from that law in Christ so that we could go back to sinning? I mean, that's kind of a strange thought, isn't it? And it reveals something about us more so than it does about God. Here's two things that I think Scripture teaches us, that if, if that's our mindset of, of Christ, uh, that he just came to excuse my sins and so I can keep sinning because he's got to excuse them. There's two things I think Scripture speaks to about us if that's the case that we find ourselves in. The first one is that, that, that believing something like that reveals that I'm an immature Christian at best an immature Christian at best. Here's how Paul approached the, the Corinthians. It was a church that he brought the gospel to and had been growing for a while, and then he wrote his first letter to them after he heard about things that were going on there. And here's what he said. But I, brothers, he, notice he's calling them Christians. He's speaking to them as brothers. Could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants, meaning babies, in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, meaning even several years later when he's writing to him, even now you're still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So to have that kind of a mindset that God freed us from the law, and I see this a lot in the church, People will use that all the time with different principles or commands taught in the Bible, and they say, hey, we don't have to obey that anymore. And I'm not talking about the specifics of the law. I'm talking about the principles of the law. 
As I don't have to do any of that, I'm not obligated to any of that stuff. We're Christians, we're under grace now. And they use it as an excuse to go on continuing to sin against God and others. That just reveals that you're an immature Christian at the best. At the worst, we see in 1 John 2.4, it may reveal that you've never truly been saved. That that might be your step. And 1 John 2.4 says, whoever says I know him, meaning I know God or I know God through Jesus Christ, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So it might reveal that you've never really trusted Christ as your savior. Doesn't guarantee that. You can be pretty immature and still be a Christian. We saw that in Corinth. I'm just saying those are the two scenarios that that can shed light on. Let me pose a hypothetical question for us all that can maybe uh, speak to our hearts a little bit about where we are in this case. Let's pretend the moment you left church today, every law in our city was no longer effective. In fact, every rule at your workplace and every rule at your school was totally thrown out. There is absolutely no rules or laws in our city. Who would you be and how would you behave as a result of that? You see, our nature at that point is is to be extremely selfish. And, you, and you'd drive as fast as you want, you'd take stuff from stores, you'd, your true nature would come out. Because most of us only obey laws because of the fear of the consequences. But Paul is teaching us here, the reality is, is that when you're saved in Jesus Christ, your nature is changed. You're different on the inside. So even if the law is gone, you as a person would say, you know what, it's not safe for me to drive 180 miles an hour down McPherson, whether there's a law about it or not, because I care about the other drivers as big idiots as they can be. I think all the idiots get on McPherson at the same time. I'm just saying, that's usually how it goes. But you would care enough to say, you know what, I still care about their life enough that I'm going to drive in a way that's best for my fellow man. I'm not going to go and, and ransack Target for everything it's got. Because someone started that business and lots of people's livelihoods depend on the products being sold for the price that they are. And if I go and steal all their stuff, man, people could lose their jobs. So I'm going to choose to live in such a way that honors the people of that business. That's a good indication of whether a change has taken place inside you. Is removing the laws you're still a person that says, I care about the people around me and I care about the God that I serve. Second thing we see in this, as we go on in verses 17, 18, and 20, Paul says this as he continues, but thanks be to God, that was the false reason, now the true reason, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That's the gospel and the teaching that Paul Uh, or had been brought to the Roman church. And having been set free from sin, so that's one part of it, have become slaves of righteousness. He goes on to say in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard 
to righteousness. Now, I skipped verse 19. We'll come back to it. Verse 19 is parathetical, so it fits better with the the verses later. So I I took those topically together, 17, 18, and 20, and let me flesh those out. Here's my second point. Here's the true reason. I am saved by God in order to be freed from sin's dominance and submit to his righteousness. That's the, the full picture of why we are saved by God, not just to be excused from sin's consequence. That's a very shallow, immature, or even unmature at all period view of God. But I'm freed from sin's dominance so that I can submit to his righteousness. You see, this passage says prior to salvation, all I could do and all I wanted to do was sin. Paul says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Paul says in verse uh, seven and eight in chapter eight, we'll get to this later on, he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh, that's our fallen aspect of our nature, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, before we became Christians, all we had was our flesh. As Christians, we're regenerated in our spirit, but we still have this fleshly body until it dies and goes away. So now we live in a world where we have both of those, we got to battle a little bit. But before we were Christians, all we had was the flesh. You could do nothing but sin. That's all we were capable of, every one of us. A lion, a lion is a carnivore by nature. It has the ability to eat vegetables, but it never will. A lion would starve if it didn't have meat to eat. It would starve to death and avoid eating the nutrients of grasses or things around him that could save him just because its nature is to only eat meat. It's all it can do. That's the same that is true of you and I apart from Christ. Our nature is only to choose sin. I'm not saying that everyone looks as bad as non-Christians. There are some non-Christians who are kinder and nicer in some ways than Christians that I know. But the problem is their kindness and their niceness is in no way for the glory of God. It's to make themselves look good or to feel better about themselves or, or to please everyone but God. And God says our ultimate purpose in life is to bring honor and attention to him. That's all we're capable of apart from God. We only have the freedom to please God because our nature won't let us. See, this is where we have to understand the the biblical definition of freedom versus our American or human definition of freedom. Here's what we say as humans, or in particular maybe as Americans. Freedom is the freedom to choose whatever I want. That's how we define freedom. It's radical independence. But that's not true freedom. That's not biblical freedom. The Bible says that freedom is the desire to freely choose only what is righteous. Jesus said it this way, the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want you to do a little mental experiment for a moment. When you're in heaven for all of eternity, when we're in the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity, Will you be able to sin? The answer is no. 
Okay, take that home with you, right? We're going to be totally transformed. You will not be able to sin in heaven. So there's a problem then uh, with that. If our view of freedom is being able to choose whatever we want, if that's what we truly believe freedom is, you'll be less free in eternity than you are right now based on that definition. Because right now you're free to obey God or you're free to sin. You have more choices available to you than you will have when you're in heaven. But yet the Bible shows that God is the most free being in the universe. Not because he can choose to do anything. God can never choose to sin. It's totally against his nature. He is free because his desire and his nature is such that he will only choose what is true. The same is true for us. And what Paul is saying here is that if that's the freedom that you're heading for, why wait until you're in heaven to submit yourself to righteousness 100%? If that's what you're bound for, he's saying grow now as a Christian and submit to yourself to that salvation. After I'm saved, I'm united with Christ as well as being forgiven of sins. This changes us. Second Corinthians says it this way, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, the true reason we've been saved is to be freed from sin's dominance and to submit to righteousness. I can choose that now. The third thing is our response. Paul addresses this in verses 19 and then 21 and 22. He says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms, meaning he's using this analogy of of slavery in human terms because of, of our natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification or Christian growth. And in verse 21 and 22 he goes on, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things you did which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So Paul is saying this. Here's my third point. A growing experience of grace commands me to offer myself by faith in Christ to godly living. To offer myself in faith in Christ to godly living. This is not a self-help program. Christianity is not a self-help program. Let me just do these right things and not do these wrong things and I'll be a, a different person. Christianity is totally different. Every world religion, you can study this, every world religion has a basically the same structure. You change yourself or transform yourself to a certain level, you follow these rules for a certain amount of time, and God will accept you. Study them. Every single world religion, that's essentially what they'll say. Now they have different rules, and their God may be different, but it's the same thing. You change, you transform, you follow these rules, and I'll accept you once you meet a certain level. Christianity is totally different. It turns that whole philosophy on its head. Because Christianity says, I'll accept you right now in your absolute and total mess through my son's perfect life and death for you. 
And then, because I accept you at that point, I'll begin to transform you. World religions, I transform, then God accepts me as a result. Christianity, God accepts me in Christ, and then he transforms me as a result of that acceptance. Study it. That's what Paul is talking about. You see, when I was a slave of sin, I got sin's payment. If, if, I, if religion is just me doing more of it on my own, all I can possibly get from that is death. Your past life, my nature apart from God, is only to sin. People, my life before I was a Christian was filled with partying and promiscuity. I was a mess in my life for many, many years. Some of the most painful things that I've experienced in my life happened during that time. I caused more death and more pain in relationships during that season than, than I needed to for any lifetime. I still bear the scars of those decisions on my fallen, broken body to this day, even in my own marital relationship because we were dating at that time when we were not walking with the Lord and God had to totally change our relationship after that. I couldn't change. I needed someone to change me. In fact, even to this day, this truth is still true. If I give in to sin, in sin's reign, it brings death into my relationships. Even as a, a husband, uh, I often give in to old patterns of who I was. Just happened this weekend. Spent a whole day at odds with my wife because I was too much of a jerk, because I wanted to do the same thing that I always used to do before I was a Christian and not resolve things the way I know to do. And until I was willing to submit to what was true, what was right, death was reigning in our relationship. Happens with my kids. I fall into my old ways. I sin against my kids as a broken, fallen father, and it brings death into our relationships. And until I can humble myself, or God humbles me, and I see that I need to submit to his truth and go and ask for forgiveness, that death will reign in our relationship until I change. Happens as a pastor. I've hurt people. I've brought death into this congregation because I've acted in my own flesh in relationships instead of submitting to who I am as a new person in Christ. It's just the reality of it. Sin always brings death. But Paul is saying here that having received God's free gift, I can become a slave leading to fruitful change. That God will change us when we recognize what he's done in us. What's so amazing is after recognizing what a mess I was at at that time in my life and the infinite grace of God to save someone like me, through his son's sacrifice, I suddenly wanted to change. I didn't want to change before. I wanted to keep doing what I was doing because I thought I knew what I was doing. Suddenly, he changed me when I recognized, you mean he did that for me in the midst of my mess because my life was an absolute mess when I met Jesus for the first time. And here's what's amazing. 
is as people encouraged me, as, as God's word taught me, and little by little as I said, okay, God, I'm going to submit this area of purity to, to, to your example, even though I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I'm going to submit this area to you. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to submit this area. And little by little as I laid down my desires and accepted his desires, he began bringing the fruit of sanctification or Christian growth into my life. It's still him doing it. I'm just saying, okay, I'm going to trust you with this, God. And here's the most amazing thing. He is so good at this that 14 years ago, I was able to convince this little church in Laredo to let me be their pastor. That's how crazy this truth is. That if any of you would have known me back when Jesus saved me, you would have shook your heads. In fact, if you knew me back then, most of you wouldn't stay here and listen to me now. But that's what God does. He changes us. And that's one of my favorite things about this church. It's filled with living examples of this truth. You see, most of you were a mess when you came here. I know that. Don't look away. I, I know your mess you were in when you came here. I still know it. I, I, there's so much stuff up here in my head that if I shared it, whew, you'd be in trouble. But you know what? If you knew all my stuff, I'd be in trouble too. That's what I love about this church is it's a place where you can come in the midst of your mess and find a savior who will free you from bondage to that mess. And little by little, as you now submit your messiness to him, he starts changing you into a brand new person. And that's the, the best part about this. And some of you are here today, and you're still a mess. You might be a mess personally. You might be a mess in your marriage. Your finances might be an absolute mess. Your work situation might be a total mess. Your family situation might be an absolute mess. And you might even be able to check all of the above to those things. I want you to know you could not be in a better place if that's where you find yourself today. Because the God that we worship is in the business of taking people whose lives are an absolute mess and saying, let me exchange that. Chad, let me take your mess and put it on my son. He can handle it, you can handle it, that's all you're capable of. But let me take your mess and put it on my son because I wanna take my son's righteous life and put it in your account. See, that's what Paul leaves us with in this passage. I love this passage. It's one of the great verses in all the scriptures. He says in verse 23, the following, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's, I want to summarize that, and we'll close it with this. The result of working to save myself is death. 
but the result of receiving God's gift in Jesus Christ is an eternal, transformed life. I recognized that 27 years ago. And my life has never been the same. It's far from perfect. And I'm still applying these same simple principles every single day. Some weeks I get it right, some weeks I don't. But my salvation is not based on my growth. It's based on his perfect sacrifice. And when I return to that truth, it reminds me of who I am, of what's happened in my life because of Jesus Christ. And it moves me to little by little submit my life as a tool in God's hands. Even when my old self rages against it. You see, Jesus came from heaven to earth taking on human flesh so that his death could take your sin, your wage away from you and give you a gift that you could have never earned. We did everything in our nature to earn death. We did. But he did everything in his nature to earn eternal life. In a sense, you could summarize a conversation that God the Father and Jesus had, and I'm hypotheticalizing this a little bit, but to just follow with me. Basically, this is what might have happened. Is God said to his son, son, and you can imagine Jesus being the perfect son. He's got his notebook out. He said, okay, God, Father, whatever you want, I'm going to do it. So you just tell me. He says, okay, first of all, son, you've got to take on human flesh. He goes, all right, take on human flesh. I got that. I'm on it. He says, I'm going to send you down to earth. He goes, all right, I'm going down to earth. He goes, that's going to be a tough one. I mean, it's awesome. This place we're in right now is incredible. And you want me to go down to that cesspool? I want you to go down to that cesspool. They think it's great down there. I know they're a little crazy, but, but, but it's just got to go down there. He says, all right, I'll, I'll do that, God. And he says, now I, I'm going to give you 33 years, and I expect you to obey me perfectly every single year you're there. And he goes, obey him perfectly all 33 years. Say, hey, I've been doing it for all of eternity. Father, I, I think I got this. It's going to be a little different environment. But I got it. Okay, what's next? He says, okay, at the end of your life now, after you've taken on flesh, you've gone to that cesspool, you've obeyed me perfectly all 33 years. Yeah, yeah, what's next? I'm going to treat you like you're the worst sinner to ever walk that earth. Treat me like the worst it... What? Yeah, I'm going to treat you like you are the worst sinner to ever walk on that earth. Treat me like the worst sinner. Why are you going to do that? Because, son, I want to be able to treat the worst sinners on that earth like they've been the most obedient. Okay, I get it. Jesus came not to give you a plan for how to fix your life. He came to give you the gift of eternal life. You see, a wage is something you earn. That's all you can ever do. Your employer does not give you your wage and you go, oh man, thank you for that gift, sir. You go, what? You put your hours in, you earn it. That's what sin and death is, you earn it. But a gift you cannot earn. You can only receive it. And Jesus came to bring that gift for you and for me so that the worst of sinners in our community could be treated like the most obedient person 
that ever walked this earth. You see, when that truth hits you for the first time, it cannot help but change you. It cannot help but warm your heart in a way where you are overwhelmed with the goodness of God and say, God, if you would do that for me, why am I struggling to submit my marriage to you? Or why am I struggling to submit my relationships to you? Or any area of my life when you've gone that far to love me and lead me? So let me ask you today, have you trusted him yet? Have you received that gift? Because you receive it by trusting that Jesus Christ lived and died for your sin and for your transformation. Have you done that yet? Have you believed the lie that until your life is cleaned up enough, God could never accept you? And did your eyes become open today for the first time to recognize that he is offering this to you as a gift to receive. I challenge you to trust him today. It'll change your life forever. Many of us have, have done that already. But, but we're still in process and maybe we're stuck on that part and we have to realize, if he's done that for me, why can't I submit this area of my life to him? Why can't I just be a tool of righteousness in his hands? And it may be your marriage. It may be your work habits. It may be your personal life. It may be your finances. It may be your family life. I, I don't know what it is, but you do and God does. If you're willing to trust him for your full eternity and transformation. Can you trust him that if you will submit that area to him, just give it to him. Say, God, it's yours. I need you to change me here. Why would he, who has not already given you everything you need in Christ, not faithfully lead you in that area of your life? Imagine a church that just put these two simple principles into place. They couldn't go a day without preaching to themselves the good news of the gospel. I'm not who I was anymore. I'm not yet who I will become, but I'm certainly not who I was. Because Jesus, you've changed my life. So God, what, what do you want me to present to you? What do I need to trust you with more so that you can grow in me this fruit of spiritual change that you want me to partner with you in, that you just want me to submit to you, just to trust you and watch you grow in my life. Imagine a church with that kind of humility that as good as we might get, we would never be so arrogant as to think that we're better than any other person in this city because we wouldn't know. He's the, only, he's the only reason we've changed. A church that would never beat itself down so much as say, I, I could never serve. I could never be used in this church. I could never be a tool in your hands when he has credited you with his son's righteousness. He has freed you to be a servant in his hands. He's 
just waiting for you to step out and trust him. And that would be a church that I'd want to be part of every single day. Let's pray.